Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed. Blender HD, if you want to follow me there on Twitter. And this is the show where uh, we'll talk. We'll, we'll look at the results CB from uh, from yesterday. It was a small slate, five game slate last night. Um, I'm I'm glad to have gotten you know most of my money back. Right, didn't lose that much. Uh, maybe maybe we'll touch on today's slate. Although it's going to be it's a 15 game slate, and it's a it's it's what 36 hours before the 24 hours before the trading deadline. Who knows what's going to happen? Or people are already moving, right? People, Rizzo, Rizzo's now on the Yankees, Gallo's on the Yankees. It, it seems like they just realized that their right field porch is uh, very pre- pretty pretty short, right? They, finally, maybe we get some power lefties uh, in our lineup. There are also tons of strikeouts in that lineup as well. Uh, we got Scherzer going to the Dodgers. Scherzer and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers, right? We got tons of stuff going on. So who knows who's going to move yet next? I mean, like, like Trevor Story. We got some some Rockies, some who knows, who knows. You find out throughout the day, you'll see someone, oh, someone scratched from the lineup, and who knows? It could be because of a trade or something, right? It doesn't have to be a star player. It could be like some role player that's involved in a trade, right? So you don't know. So keep in touch with uh, with that for the rest of the day. Uh, but it's Casual Friday, which means we'll talk about casual questions. I also want to go over, we'll, we'll do that later, uh, a little bit later, the MMA card. Big edge. There's big edge in MMA, MMA this week. So if you want to play MMA, MMA, UFC uh, tomorrow, big edge, right? I'm teasing it. This is called it in the business. This is called the teaser, right? Tease it for later. What's the big edge? I'll, I'll, I'll hit on that later, right? If it was that important, I'd, I'd bring, I'd bring it up immediately. It's kind of like, you know, you see, you see the local news ads. It's like, oh, the thing that you've been eating all your life may be unhealthy for you. News at 11. It's like, what, why don't you tell me now? It's like, that's, that's like five hours from now. Maybe I'd be eating it by the time the show comes on. So, like, I don't know why you're teasing that. So, whatever. It's a similar type of thing. But it's casual Friday. Casual questions. Ask anything you want in the YouTube chat. I don't care. Doesn't matter. I see you guys in there. Give me those thummy thumbs early in the morning. Real life pitcher Shannon Lambert, Suki Singh, uh, Doug Montgomery, Chris Schumacher, Sterling Woods, Card Fan, Jerome Lewis, Brian C., Dwayne Bones, Lee Palm. Right, just just body parts, right? We got bones, we got a palm, we got we got a real life we got a real life pitcher. We we, we do uh, woods. Well, woods woods could be could be a body part, right? Right. PG show. I'm not going to talk about that. But what happened yesterday? Yesterday, yesterday, Musgrove got his mojo back, right? I don't. I I I Musgrove in 100 percent of my lineups. I only played 10 lineups yesterday, uh, but uh, he was in all of them. And I, I mostly Musgrove Peralta or Musgrove uh, Cool, because uh, the Brewers were, were kind of chalky and Cool projected. I mean, at least, at least somewhat decently. Uh, Casey Mize did well. I mean, but he ended up p- pitching seven innings. I didn't. Ex- I didn't expect that. I think I had him in one out of my ten. And I faded Montes and I played Angels against him because at thirty six percent owned over here. I if I was going to attack any any of these pitchers, like the Rockies didn't project all that well against Musgrove. The Pirates definitely didn't project well against Peralta. And Montes was actually projected much lower in the bat compared to other pitchers. The Angels were okay. I mean, it's a, it's a five-game slate. You only have 10 teams to choose from. So I decided to play a lot of Oakland. I played a lot of Oakland Los uh, Angels that game. So I, I, play, I, played some, I played some Brewers. 
who were, were the winning stack. Uh, some Brewers, some A's, Angels, and Orioles, and barely any of the Tigers. And uh, you were really you didn't get anywhere with the Tigers. The Tigers scored runs, but they didn't they didn't do enough. Miggy Miggy was the key, but first base you could have had you could have Tellis at twenty eight points, right? You could have had uh, Guerrero Vlad at twenty five. I mean, yeah, Miggy had thirty three, but he wasn't required to be in the winning line. Because on on at least on DraftKings on FanDuel you could have two first basemen, so then you have to worry about that. But if you could see sharper players, didn't I mean the Tigers? Were the were the were the overowned team of the day? Haas 33% owned, Grossman with a zero, 27% owned, Scope 21, Badu 18, right? So it was the 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 Tigers. Then we had uh obviously uh Tatis and Machado, the Padres, but like the other Padres weren't as owned. I mean, yeah, the stack was owned. I mean, like I said, it's, it's there's only 10 teams to choose from. And then we had the Brewers. So that's why I was more on like here, Matt Olson, 16%. We can see here, Ricky D went heavy. I mean, Ricky D doesn't like, doesn't diversify. He just like, he, I'm taking the, be- the best shot and going with as many lineups as possible. Uh, he, 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 he slammed the, the Oakland A's yesterday, but, but I seem to be more on the same page with some, with some of, some of the sharpest players in the lobby, right? I had a lot of Otani right against Montes, right? He was, I think he was under owned for a five game slate at 16%, right? We see nerdy tenor for 75 Royal pain, bro flex. Yeah. Ricky D didn't have much. He didn't have much of, well, he had 30% Montes. Okay. So that's, that's a decent amount, but most people had tons of Musgrove, tons of Musgrove and uh, like the pirates pipe. Rodolfo Castro was 13% owned for some reason. Okay. Whatever. You can see here, Lowry, 13%. And obviously we had the Toronto Boston game, which oh, it wasn't going to play. Is there going to be a rain delay? So uh, I think both sides of that game were underowned. It turns out that the Red Sox side of the game were much more underowned than the, than the Blue Jays side. And I play, I played, I played Red Sox. That didn't work out. My, my Hunter Renfro zero didn't do much in a lot of lineups, right? My Bogart zero, right? You can see, look across the board. I mean, Boston Red Sox, we see them here. Look at the A's, Sean Murphy. Almost everyone is over. I mean, obviously, Ricky D has a ton. We, we just scroll down here, but you can see like Semyon, the Blue Jays, mix. Manny Pena, obviously, you needed a catcher, a double, double dong for the Brewers, right? If you stack the Brewers, you need to have Pena. It didn't do anything for you, right? Pena has 37, Avisel Garcia, zero. Right. I had, I had some, I had Brewers stacks, but they all had, they all had Avi. They all had Avisel Garcia in it. This is why, this is why I was able to get most of my money back, but not, but didn't win anything. Right. I think I was minus like minus 17% or something last night, which I was happy with, with the way everything went. Right. Right. Having half, half my lineups be, be A's. A's, A's, and then another third being Angels, and then still only only losing like 17%. I'm, I'm fine, fine, whatever. Move on to the next day. Orioles, Orioles were, no, the Orioles were, I mean, I'm looking down on a five-game slate. You're looking down and seeing single-digit owned players, right? Ramon Laureano, guys like that. 
Canha seven percent. Like these A's were these A's were under own facing Dylan Bundy in the the Angels bullpen. Although Quintana came out of the bullpen and struck out like half the two innings, I think two innings, five strikeouts or something. Quintana just Quintana is either really good sometimes or awful. I was hoping for the awful one, but we didn't get it. Didn't get it. Let's scrolling down here. Right, Phil Goslin for the Angels, like the Angels were underowned. Brandon Marsh at twenty one hundred. I mean, yet it didn't do anything. Sure, Montes had a great seven innings, ten strikeouts. So obviously those lineups are dead. It's a five game slate. So I mean, but what what's what 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 is there to review? Really, what is there to review? I know what you guys did. Feel free to post in the YouTube chat. It's it's Casual Friday. A little mini review there for a five game slate. Today, today is uh, today is Lance Lynn and Burns are up top at pitcher. As of right now in the bat, uh, Lynn and Tyon were like the the optimal combination. But we got some cheap we got some cheap guys here. Gilbert, Scooble. I don't know about Allard or LeBlanc. I don't know what the upside is with them, but I guess they yeah. When Matt Harvey projects for two point two three a point per dollar against the the, the Tigers. You know, you're probably not playing him, but I mean, it's it's kind of like it's the immovable force and the, the whatever the, the the inanimate object, whatever they call it, whatever that 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 phrase is. It's the Tigers. So the Tigers aren't the greatest hitting teams, and they strike out a lot. So either Harvey's going to have a good game, or the Tigers are going to destroy him. It's going to be one of the two, right? Are any of these pitchers expected to be traded? Is John Gray maybe John Gray? Is he going to be traded from the Rockies? I don't know. Maybe we end up getting a scratch pitcher today. So looking at the pitchers, it's like, okay, Lance Lynn against Cleveland. We don't have any ownership in. Maybe, maybe we maybe if I refresh it, maybe, maybe we have early. Early. I don't even know if it's gonna matter this this early. Let's see. No, nah, we got nothing. We got nothing. So what do we got hitter-wise? Hitter-wise, any cheapos? Yeah, we got a ton of kind of cheap bats. You could fit in. Got the the pirates. At the Phillies, they had a ballpark upgrade against Velasquez. Bowie's going to be cheap. Yeah, Lester, the Cubs against Lester at Washington. Right? That's probably a good spot. Still got the, the Brewers against uh, against Atlanta in Atlanta. Against uh, Tukey, Tukey Toussaint. Maybe the Royals against Stripling. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at the stacks page for the bat. Let's look at ceiling wise. Oh, okay, here we go. Cubs, Cubs, Brewers, Royals. Royals are here. Pirates. Pirates are up there. Look, how how rare is it to see the Pirates as in the top third of uh, ceiling projections, right? Also, point per dollar wise. I mean, you could see here point per dollar wise, right? Pirates, Brewers, Rangers, Marlins. But Rangers and Marlins barely have a ceiling. But they're cheap. Indians against Lance Lynn because they're cheaper. Right, but the ceilings are suspect. We got the Royals, the Cubs. Right, then we have the the teams that have high ceilings but very poor point per dollar value, like the Dodgers against Gallon, the Phillies against Will Crow. I mean, this is a good. I, I like using the bat stack projections page just to get a really good overview of the bats on the slate and the stacks, thinking in terms of lineups and not players. Like organizing it by even if you just uh, sort it by ceiling, you could tell that if it's in the top twenty, like if these numbers are high, that means it's a good point per dollar value. If you see like zeros, 
like Philadelphia, like zero. It's like it doesn't even show up in the top thousand stacks. It means that it's it's they have a high high raw points, but just not great for their salaries. So it doesn't mean you don't play them. It just means that le- more likely they're going to be lower owned because it's hard it's hard to fit them in unless you unless you you know punt twice at pitcher or at least punt somewhere right do something. I just like looking at it. so maybe maybe the, the pirates. The Pirates are going to be owned today? I don't know. Looking back at the YouTube chat. Irresistible force versus the immovable object. That's what I'm talking about. Right? It's funny. Two eyes. And, you know, I don't, I don't remember what they are. Uh, let's see. Chris Schumacher. Not looking for tax advice. Good, because I'm not a tax attorney or anything. But have you heard, have you, I've heard you speak about having an LLC for fantasy sports income. Uh, I have one for real estate rental income can talk to you, your benefits from the, I don't have an LLC. I have an S corporation. I, I already had, I already had a, a, an S corporation before I played uh, DFS for digital marketing. So everything that I do go every, everything business wise I do goes and just gets Blenderhead media, right? That, that's where Blenderhead comes from, right? Blenderhead is a bad religion song. So when I had to make a company name, like, I don't know, 12 years ago, it was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm from the punk scene, the punk hardcore scene. And a lot of times you, you name your band after like a song or an album of, a, of, you know, like your favorite band or something like that. Like you take one of their song titles. So I, just, I looked through my bad religion collection and I'm like, okay, Blender. Yeah, that sounds good. Blender and media done. So I, I had an S corporation. LLC is not going to do, do much for you because it's, if it's a, it's a one person. It's essentially a DBA. I'm like I said. I'm not a tag. Don't talk to an accountant. Talk to a tax person or whatever. But you'd be you get much more projection under an, an S corporation, and then you could then you could pay yourself a salary. So what you'd end up doing is, as long as you're paying yourself a reasonable salary, you could run pay. You could you don't even have to run payroll every month. You could run it every quarter. And then estimate, you know, kind of estimate what you think you're going to make for, for the whole year. So you, you lowball it early. So your first quarter, you pay yourself a little. Second quarter, pay yourself a little. Third quarter, pay yourself a little. And then fourth quarter, it's whatever, because that's the end, right? So you, you know pretty much how much you're going to make. And anything extra is just going to be on your K-1. So that'll be distributed. But on your K-1 income, you're not going to be paying, you're, the company isn't paying the the Medicare and Social Security. Talk, talk to talk to an account. I don't know why, I don't know why I should be giving you advice or whatever. But if you set up an S corporation and list your and you're the employee, right? So get a W two. You're gonna have tax withholding, right? You're gonna have to file a bunch of paperwork every quarter. But typically, your account your accountant would handle that. My my accountant essentially just sends me an envelope at, at every quarter that has a whole bunch of like papers and and already with the envelopes already stamped and everything and a little little highlighter with the yellow and just basically i go through it right so like because i have to send i have to send unemployment insurance thing i have to send this to the federal this to the state this to the local like for the withdrawal the with the you know withholding here and whatever so it's already it's already done for me right it's all filled out i just have to pretty much sign it and then wherever the where the yellow marker is and then fold up the paper and put it into the envelope that is already in there right? Because my account puts out all the envelopes that I need with the with self-addressed or whatever. And I just put it in and it says, you know, write a check for $478 to the Kentucky Department of Revenue or something. Okay, there you go, done. Send it out. 
right? So if you get if you get a good accountant, they'll they'll they'll, cut, they'll pretty much do that for you. But I mean, is it worth doing doing all of that? Uh, it depends on how much how much money you make, right? I put everything in there, so every, every, everything I do from for, from DFS in general is is in there. So not just playing, but like I'm doing these shows, and Rotogrind just pays me for this, right? Right? I do content. I sell the course. I mean, it all goes in there, and then then you take off all your expenses, right? Right. So like what a UFC pay-per-view, right? I just pay for it and just write it off. Right. That's that's part of me playing DFS, right? MLB TV subscription, write it off. Right. But it's written off not on my personal taxes, it's on the company's taxes. So it's not passed, it's not LLC with a one-person LLC. It's just gonna be passed, passed through income. It's not gonna matter. Right. You're not you're not, you're not doing you're not doing anything different. So, uh, so yeah, but talk, talk to an account about that, but that, that's what, that, that's what I do. That's what a lot of, a lot of top players do. They, they have a company set up for their play. Then, but you have to have the, obviously on the sites on DraftKings FanDuel, your, your tax ID number, it has to be the business ID. number. So you're going to be using the EIN for your, your, your company, not your personal social security number, because you want the 1099 sent to your business. So the business gets the, the business gets the money, it spends whatever it needs to spend to generate the income, and then at the end, like you get a paycheck, and then anything that's left you get as you know as being you know obviously hundred percent majority the owner of the you know the the number the top shareholder right the hundred percent shareholder. Of the, uh, yes, do, 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 do. Yes, Michael Dompier. Yeah, I, I did. I did have a, a tax episode. If you go to the Theory of DFS podcast back in back in uh, early April, late March, that's like tax time. I, I I did have an accountant on to talk about that type of stuff. And if you have an unprofitable year, you take a loss, right? You deduct it. Okay, it's just like a business that takes a loss. It's perfectly fine. How that carries over, I have no idea because I haven't experienced. Good thing I haven't experienced it, right? I have not experienced how uh, uh, my 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 S corporation having a loss. So I don't know. I don't even know. Do I carry that over my personal taxes? I don't know. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't have any experience in twelve years of having having a a, a business, a legal. I mean, a business that's separate from me per, than other income on my taxes. I've never had a. I've never had a, a losing never had a negative so i don't know i don't know what happens does the world explode i don't know does the universe collapse upon itself when that happens i don't know i don't know oh norm bothwell how do i get my 150 max lineups to finish across the spectrum they typically finish in a tight spread like 40 to 90th percentile even if i'm stacking every team as a 4x can't get the wide variance well 4 4x is i mean 4X, you could still end up with the same one-offs and tons of lineups, like 80% of the time. Do you want it to finish across the spectrum? I mean, we're talking about diversification here. That's it. There's nothing that says that you need to finish like that. You should, like, to me, you shouldn't be stacking every team. But let's say you do stack every team. If you're doing 4X and you're having one-offs, like, I'm assuming this we're talking about FanDuel, you still may end up with tons and tons of similar lineups. If you're playing four one-offs, whatever, whoever the cheap, whoever the point per dollar, you know, top play, you, you may have like 50% of them. I don't know. 
But if you're playing something like 4-3-1 or 4-4, you should, as long as you have enough, you know, unique players, it it should be fairly diversified. I mean, you should be able to check. I mean, there's not a question that I can answer without looking at exactly what it is that you're doing. I mean, you'd see. I mean, you should see what it looks like. You'd see in the exposures. You'd you'd build lineups and see, "Ah, I have 80% of this guy and 60% of that guy. Well, if you have 80% of one guy and 60% of another guy, most likely you have a lot of very lineups that are very contingent on those players. So if those players don't do well or whatever they do, that's where most of your lineups are going to be. Even if half of more than less than half, you look four, four out of the 10 spots in your lineup are a different stack. But I would have to take a look at exactly what you're doing or whatever. But like, like, like I said, that's a that's for diversification. I mean, if you're building good lineups, who cares? Then you're just gonna you're gonna have bigger swings. So it's not a big deal if you're not diversified. I mean, we took a look at look at Ricky D. Ricky D plays in a completely non-diversified, but he he'll have huge swing. Look, he had the A's in most of his lineups yesterday. So if the A's don't do well, he loses like 80% of his money. If the A's do well, I mean he could he could he could he could take down a ton of money. That's what he chooses to do, right? Some people are more diversified than others, but that's not, that's not a, there's no strategy to that. You still have to determine who you're playing and who you're not playing. And we can see here from sharper players, if you played the Tigers last night, the, the, the Sharps were mostly under on the Tigers and they were over on the A's. So it didn't, it didn't matter what happened yesterday, right? We know, oh, well, well, the A's didn't do well. Well, who cares? You're looking to play well every day you don't know which day it is that you're going to win a ton, but just play well. I want to play like the sharpest players in the lobby play, right? I would, I would, I would trade my results with a lot of these players. So that's what you have to compare it to. And some play really not diversified at all. And some play more diversified, but that's just, just a matter of, of risk tolerance. It's bankroll management. It has nothing to do with strategy. Playing non-diversified and playing horrible negative EV lineups ain't going to do anything for you. The same reason that if you, I'm going to play 150 negative EV lineups as long as they're all diversified. It's just, okay, now you're going to lose money slower. That's all all the difference. You still have to make good lineups. Michael Dompier is a tax guy in the chat. Okay, maybe he could, he could, Michael Dompier is going to answer, going to answer your tax questions in the YouTube chat. But yes, the, the, I, I assume that my, my, my business, if my business loses money, that'll, that'll pass down to, to my personal income. I'll get a negative, I'll get a negative number on, on a K1 and then input that. Oh, they're probably up to a certain amount. There's probably some cap or something. There's probably, probably, I don't know. You know how you solve that problem? Don't lose money. <laughs> That's how you solve it. Don't lose money. Right, just like how do you solve the problem with the, the top heavy payouts, right? Oh, it's a hundred thousand to first, and like set of stake dimes to seventh place, right? You know how you solve it by winning the the whole thing, right? You're winning by big. You have no problem if you win first, right? Of course. Okay, I wanted to touch on. Uh, I, I teased it. The big edge, the big edge in MMA. You're playing UFC on 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 Saturday. I don't know why people don't play. It, it, it's such an easy easy DFS sport probably easier than golf like golf is easy because there's like there's no correlation or anything you're picking six guys six golfers 
And here you go, ownership and whatever. And then stuff happens. But there's also a lot of golfers. You're playing an event with 155 golfers. It's like, oh, that almost seems uh, too much. UFC on Saturday is 26 fighters. And you don't play fighters against each other. So, like, you automatically know that. Like, only one guy could win. But the edge for MMA, I set up, okay, I've shown this before. This is my cheat sheet. I make a cheat sheet for MMA. This is, this is how I play now. I didn't used to do this. I used to kind of estimate it. I used to go by projection some of what. So like when COVID hit, I didn't, I didn't set myself up exactly like this. And my results showed. I mean, I had some really close. I had some ties, whatever. But now, now I've, I've been playing way better with this cheat sheet. So what I do, I've shown this before. I take all the fighters on the slate, obviously all their salaries. Then I put in the betting lines for the, for their win, the money line, right? The win chances them to win inside the distance, meaning that they win with a finish that it doesn't go to the judges scorecards. It win, you know, they submission knockout, you know, something like that. And then round one that the fight ends in round one, that, that fighter wins in round one because that scores you the most amount of points. Uh, and then compare it to ownership. Obviously, I put notes here that the main events, the main events in MMA are five rounds instead of three, so that they have more opportunity to score points. And then the women's fights or heavyweight. Like heavyweight fights tend to be slow, but high variance. And women's fights tend to go to decision, but the, typically the, the, the strike scoring is softer. So women's, women's fights tend to not get a finish, but some of these, some, some strikes that in men's fights would not be considered significant are actually considered significant in women's fights. If you, if you notice, we, sometimes we have some, some women fighters scoring, you know, 170 strikes and it's most, they're clinching and they're doing like this type of stuff. And they, they, they actually get a lot more points in those situations than, than the men would. So I like, I like marking them down just, just, just for, just for reference. But what I like doing, we don't have the round one for Stolze and Gooden because Gooden's a replacement. Uh, so I, I compare, this is where these numbers come from. I'm looking to compare them against one another. So basically all I'm doing is dividing that number by the ownership. So Barbarina has a 72% chance of winning and a 54% ownership. He has a 50% chance because I'm converting it, right? I've put in the spreadsheet, the formula, to convert this, right? So if it's 150, that would be 40%, right? 100 would be 50%, right? Minus 150 would be 60%, right? So it's converting to a percentage. So he's a 50% chance of winning inside the distance, but he's going to be on 54% of the time, which means he's underneath, right? Divide the two numbers. Anything under one means he's over, he's over-owned for that, right? Round one, you can see here. And typically the higher, the higher price fighters, the, the more points you're going to need from them, right? Getting 90 points from a $9,600 guy is not going to make the, the optimal, the first place lineup in the large field GPP. So a lot of times these, these 9K fighters, I have to judge more on them winning in the first round than them winning in any round. Unless they're the type of fighter that obviously puts up a lot of points based on their, their fighting style. This doesn't, this does not include any type of fighting style whatsoever. So I put this together. This is the RG ownership. And obviously 
you know, it's Friday morning. This may, this may change a bit. And these five, these odds may, you know, I, I checked them in the morning, right? This t- today, I'll probably, I'll update them tomorrow. Cause they'll move a little, right? Some of the inside the distant odds will move. So the edge here is that we have a mispriced fighter. We have a grossly mispriced fighter. Okay. Stolze was supposed to take on Lazé. Lazé was a $9,200 fighter. And Lazé would have been, would have been the favorite in the, a, a decent favorite in this fight. But he had to back out and Gooden, who's not horrible, Jared Gooden, on a week's notice, on what, six days notice, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to fight Stolze. So that Gooden is actually, is the underdog. They had, they priced him at 6,800, but because once pricing comes out, DraftKings doesn't change anything. They'll add a fighter, but they won't change the price of an existing fighter. So Stolze should be like 9,000 now, because now he's the favorite. He's not, he's not going to be the, the two to one underdog. Now he's going to be the two to one favorite. And he's, and he's priced as a two to one underdog. So he's 7,000. So you can see here, we have him projected at 64% owned. So it's a gross, it's a $2,000 mispriced fighter. But remember, this is a 13 fight card and you typically, typically need to get over a hundred points from your fighters, from six fighters. And the bigger the card, the more likely there's going to be a 600 plus or more, 630, 650, right? Which means finishes, Right, you're rarely gonna unless it's some you know unless it's one of these these chain wrestler guys that could score like forty points around. Like most like most likely, uh, you're gonna need you're gonna need finishes. The decisions aren't gonna be aren't gonna be good enough. So you take a look here. Yes, he has the bet two fifty inside the distance, twenty nine percent chance of finishing inside the distance, which is great in comparison to other fighters in his range. But he's gonna be sixty four percent owned. Okay, if Stolze wins in a decision and scores, let's say eighty-five points, let's just let's just say eighty-five. He may not even at seven thousand. It's like that's a that's a great score for seven thousand. He only, but it's he may he may not be in the in in the optimal lineup. I'd say he may he he may be a bust at eighty-five points, even at seven thousand. The only way that his eighty-five points will matter. For, for like the first place is if all these guys below him lose. So basically if he scores like 85 and these guys, Hall, Gooden, Grutzenmacher and Witt, they score less than 85. So even if they win and score less or whatever. And you also need these guys up top and girls, right? And women, Montano, Barbarina, Garcia, Strickland, Montano. If they, if, if they score a hundred plus points, Right, because the combination, because you're paying down for seven thousand, you're able to fit in these high price fighters, right? Fifty four percent owns Barbarina, forty two percent on Garcia, Strickland in the main event, forty one percent owned, Montano thirty percent owned. The only reason these ownerships are up here is because of Stolze. Like if Stolze wasn't available, these ownerships would come down because it's harder to fit in like the best like underdogs. Like for an under seven thousand for Stolze. On any other slate would be a slam. I mean, it would be a slam dunk. But if you if you're playing small field stuff, okay, maybe you still play Stolze. He'll be even more owned, right? If you're playing the five fifty five, he could be eighty percent owned in that contest. But there's thirteen fights, so the edge to me, the edge is like not playing him. 
either not not playing him, playing Gooden instead, because obviously that's directly like negatively correlated, or playing other. Like, let's say you wanted to play Barbarina, these high-priced fighters. Well, play them, but don't play them with Stolze. Play them with Yanan and Gooden or, or Grutzenmacher or Witt, you know, like, because we take a look at these percentages. Like, these are based on the betting lines. So inside the, di- just simply inside the distance, which gives you a better shot, obviously a good shot at getting 100 plus points. I mean, these guys are, I mean, most of this range, I mean, Adeshev, I mean, his fighting style is, I mean, yes, I'll get a finish 22% of the time. I don't know how well he's going to score. For I mean, some of these guys, you don't, I mean, their fighting styles are suspect, right? From a decision to put up 100 points, but a first round finish. I mean, they're all, they're all under-owned. I mean, all these guys are under-owned, except for Stolze, who's grossly over-owned. Yeah, like Wit, Wit, Grutzen, like... Like Wit is a two like thirty one percent chance to win, but he's only going to be eight percent owned. If if they're going to be a lot of lineups that are Barbarina, Garcia, one of these two, like if one of these two, Barbarina, Garcia, Strickland, we may see lineups like this. Like if I go here, let's see, just based on on projections, which don't matter all that much. Right, Stolze. Strickland, Barbarina, Montana. I mean, you're going to see a lot. I mean, obviously you wouldn't play Hall in the same lineup as Strickland. So if we get rid of Hall, like we're going to see a lot of lineups like this. Okay, maybe not good neither, right? We wouldn't put good in the same lineup. We wouldn't put Wid in the same line. Why, why does it keep on coming up like this? Okay, get rid of that. Here, something more like this, right? You're going to see high-priced, one of these two high-priced Strickland, like these are what lineups are going to look like with Stolze in them. And people aren't going to have to go down for some of these underdogs. Like some of these other underdogs like and- Anglin and Jones and Rowe like are, are going to be grossly, I mean, take a look at these ownerships. I mean, 11%, 16, 14, 8, 8, 7, 8, 11, 11. I mean, even Yaya, 19 Adeshev, 11. I mean, they, this whole range is going to be just grossly under-owned just, just by looking at the betting lines. Like, I don't I don't know anything about these guys. All I know is that Yaya has a, a, based on the betting line, has a 32% chance of getting a finish inside the distance, winning. He's going to be 19% though. He could put up 110 points. Rowe could put up 110. I mean, look, 27% chance, 26% chance. You play row. I mean, like, there seems to be so many constructions that don't contain Stolze that have a much higher expect. Like, to, to me, I don't even know. Maybe there are Stolze lineups that that don't even have a positive expected value. So, to me, based on this information, because it's a unique slate, we don't get these types of slates all that often. Where a guy is, you know. The, the the favorite in a fight drops out and then the replacement guy ends up being lower, being the underdog of a fighter that is only 7,000. Now, the most probable situation is that a lineup like that, like I showed before, may win, but it'll be tied like 74 different ways. I mean, take a look at the ownership here. Imagine having a lineup of Barbarina, Strickland, and Stolze. 
And then you kind of figure out the in the middle. It's just gonna be it's gonna be duped too much. So so my advice is either depending on the lineup. If you want to play a stole, if you want to play uh, a lineup that automatically uh, it, you reduce you increase the, the expected value of it is just don't play Stolzy. Right? So you don't play Stolzy and you build your lineup. Like you're automatically cutting out if he's going to be 64% owned. If Stolze loses, right? If he loses, you're pretty, you're pretty much killing two thirds of the lineups of the contest. And if he wins and only puts up 70 points, right? Could have been decision win 70 points. You still may not, you still may be killing two thirds of the lineup. Now, if he goes out and wins in the first round and puts up 115 points, well, you're dead, you're dead. You're dead, right? You're dead in those scenarios, sure. But based on this, like if he wins inside the distance 29% of the time, that means what? 71% of the time he doesn't? But he's going to be 64% owned? I'll, I'll, I'll not play him. But if he wanted to play Stolze, let's say you're like, no, I, I'm a, I want to play Stolze lineups. Don't play Stolze lineups with these high-priced fighters. So you're going to be playing Stolze and leaving more than a thousand on the table. I think the the plus EV lineups this week in in MMA in UFC are lineups that leave at least I'm saying at least a thousand on the table. That if you if you just make it that 49k is your your top range and build lineups, you're going to avoid tons of duplication because we're going to see so many lineups that if Stolze, Hall, Barbarina, Garcia, something like that. They play Uriah Hall on the main event instead of Strickland, right? Or they play Stolze, Jones, Garcia, Strickland, you know, and some, you know, and Kamaka or something like that, some type of lineup like that. I just think we're going to see so many of those types of lineups that the edge is not playing those types of lineups. It's get much more unique this way because we just very condensed ownership and a unique situation. It's like, how do we pass up Stolze at 7,000? Because you're going to ask that if you play MMA. How do you pass it? It's, 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 hard to, it's hard to not have him in the lineup. Let's see. understand if you're playing large field GPPs, you're aiming for first place and you want to win as uniquely as possible. Maybe not completely unique, but under 10, under five. So by not playing Stolze, you're just like, your duplication factor goes out the window. And if you're if you're playing Stolze and using most of your salary, you're gonna be for, I mean, you're just gonna you're gonna end up playing. Even if you if even if you do Stolze and then play a bunch of these mid rangers and you go like Koski Lawrence, this guy Ryan, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Like that that's even gonna be on because look we have thirty six percent for Koski, twenty eight percent for Lawrence, twenty seven percent like. In order to get a lineup that is too more unique, like you're gonna have to fade most of these guys up here which means you're going to be leaving like a 1500 in salary, which is fine. Any of these guys, it's like, it's, it's not like basketball where it's like, oh, well, the price leads to the amount of time that they're on the, the court. It's like, no, the salaries don't even, once the fight starts, the salaries don't matter. Because the point scored, like Jones could come out. First round victory. Roe, first round victory. Yaya, first round victory. Stolze first round victory. I mean, you could have a lineup where the optimal lineup, there's no pri- fighter more than 7,700, right? 
six underdogs win and score well. And they all have 100 plus points. And there, there you go. There's the winning lineup, leaving, you know, 3,000 on the table. It could happen. It happens a little less often because obviously the fighters that are higher priced are more favored in, in the fights. But at these prices, I mean, 9,600, 9,500, typically we don't see odds that are just 72 and 76%. This is like typically you know, 9,600 is where we see like Amanda Nunes when she's like a 90% favorite, right? We see something like that. This is a much more closer fights. I mean, when you have the $6,600 fighter that still has a 31% chance of winning, 19% chance of inside the distance, 11% chance of in the first round, and still only going to be 8% owned. Seems to be so many more ways to make unique lineups this week simply by fading Stolze or playing him and leaving 1500 on the table. Because if, if you don't play Stolze, you could you probably could you probably could spend 49 8 or something like that and still have a unique lineup. You don't play Stolze, you play Gooden instead for direct leverage, and then you still play you play you know you leave money on the table and you're still playing like a wit, you play wit against all the Barbarina lineups. Right, so you're going to see a lot of Stolze and Barbarina together, and you're going to play the complete opposite. You're going to play Gooden. <laughs> you're going to play Gooden and uh, and and uh, Wit, and then you play Strickland in that lineup. Or you don't even have to do that. Maybe you play Hall and Hall wins. Right, he's eleven percent sure. Well, I mean, he's going to be owned. Hall's going to be owned because he's a main event fighter, five rounds, so there's much more upside in a decision. But you could make that lineup. You could make a lineup that leaves 2,000 on the table that has as much upside and much more uniqueness on this slate. So I'm, I'm, building, I'm, I'm probably building 100 to 150 lineups tomorrow. I'll probably have less, I'll probably have less than 20% Stolze. I'll probably have less than 20% Barbarino, less than 20% Garcia. And leaving a ton of money on the table and playing a lot of these, the mid-range and a lot of these other underdogs. Understand that the most probable outcome is that Stolze wins, Barbarina scores well, Garcia scores well, and that lineup has the highest median, the highest possible whatever. But it's going to be duplicated like 172 times. So I don't want to play those lineups. So that's why I'm not making calls. Stolze most likely wins. It's just a matter of how much he scores. Right? 66% chance of winning, but... He scores 75 points. Is he going to be necessary? Possibly. Quite likely not. But just because he's priced, you know, 2,000 too cheap for his winning percentage, even his inside the distance, like 250, like in comparison to some of these, like Koski, 160, Lawrence, 220, Bagdasarian, 210. Like it's not, even if he was priced at 9,000, he wouldn't even be that great of a player. He, he wouldn't be as owned as these other fighters, right? But when your aim is to, you're trying to get 100 plus points out of every fighter on average, I think is if he's going to be 64% owned, I mean, if you could just take a look at, the, take a look at the colors. He's going to be the most over, he's going to be the most over on fighter at 64%. At 50, but what, at, if, let's say he was 50%. He's still the most, he's still one of the most over on fighters, right? I don't know how, what the owner does it mean that he plays zero of them. I mean, he could, that's risky. But of course, if Stolze puts up 120 points at 64% ownership, 
you're dead without you're you're dead without him. A seven a seven K fighter putting up that much, unless unless guys below him put up more, that's going to be a weird slate. Where a guy at seven thousand puts up one hundred and twenty and doesn't appear in the top lineup, most likely he does at that at that point. But that that's that's the edge. That's why I won the show. I, I teased it early. But what's the edge in MMA this week? Sometimes there isn't. Like last week, sometimes it's you look and you're like, eh. like yeah, there's some fighters that are slightly overowned, slightly underowned. Constructions that are you're like okay. Like there's not, there's nothing big. It's like, you're going to try to get unique, but there's nothing that completely stands out. But to me, this completely, this, I mean, these type of situations don't come up that often in MMA where the favorite bow, the favorite backs out and the underdog is a heavy under. We've, we've seen it before that like a, like, I don't know, like an dollars $8,000 fight, right? Like the favorite backs out, it's like, okay, so now the underdog ends up being, the $8,000 fighter ends up being minus 140 or minus 150. And it's like, okay, that's good line value, but he's still an $8,000 fighter. We rarely see a $7,000 fighter that has the same money line as a, as a $9,000 fighter. So how to handle that? Some people just, I get a jam Stolze in 100% of lineups. I mean, he can do that, but just get, if you're going to do that, then don't, don't play, don't play the same constructions as everyone. Then now you're leaving a thousand on the table. I hope you understand it. Andrew Garcia asked, no, results DB doesn't keep the MMA. I don't believe so, right? We don't have MMA. No, we don't. Results DB is only for NFL, MLB, NBA, and golf. The, the, the major sports. But you could download download the CSV. It's a, I mean, come on, play the play the large field GPP on DraftKings and just download the CSV. Once 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 it locks, there's no late swap, right? So once it locks at what 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, just download the CSV. There you go. Are you gonna be? Is it gonna be nice and pretty like this? Can you do? You know, I mean, you can make it in Excel. Just download it and then sort by sort by username. You can make a separate spreadsheet and have it add it all up and give you these numbers if you wanted to. You could. Not complicated. But Andrew Garcia also asked, do you play qualifiers? No. I rail I play qualifiers once in a blue moon when they when they have overlay. When they have a massive overlay. Typically towards the end, typically they have a multi-qualifier, like the top four get whatever. But typically no. To me, I find qualifiers to be negative EV. And do you recommend playing those? Oh, sorry, you're satellites. Qualifiers are for like live finals. Satellites are for other GPPs. I never play that. I, I play satellites when they overlay. Understand that when you play satellites, the satellite is typically raked also. So you'll be, you'll be, paying 15% rake in the satellite and then paying 15% rake in the contest that the ticket is for. So to me, I, I you only play satellites when they overlay. Five minutes before lock and you see, you know, it's a 31 person satellite and it's, it's 15 full, right? Or something like that. But if you could afford, I mean, should you be playing contests that, you, that your bankroll doesn't afford you to play anyway? No. So why would you be playing satellites into those contests anyway? That that's my that's my perspective. 
Leon Beal, what do you think about a Baltimore-Detroit stack? I think it's, oh, sure, why not? We don't even have starting lineups. It's 15 games late. It's a, it's a day before the trade deadline. Who knows what's going to happen? That's why I didn't bother. But today's slate, who knows? Look at your projections. What does it say? It's not complicated. You know where you can get projections? Sign up for Roto Grinders Premium. Click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. Use the plate IQ projection. Sign up for the bat, the bat projections, Cardi's, right? We don't have that much baseball. We got two months left, right? All you need is the numbers. It does all the work for you. Then you just build plus EV lineups. Turns out yesterday, plus EV lineups were A's lineups and not Tigers lineups. But if you never played, if you never played UFC before, it's it's not it's not complicated. Trust me. I started playing with during COVID, right? Because it can't because Dana White on the you know Fight Island or whatever. It's like there was one of many sports going on. It's very binary. I mean, you pick you pick you're picking six fighters, and you don't play fighters against each other because they only one of them could win. Yeah, occasionally you get draws and neither of them win. Get no contest. There's weird stuff that happens in MMA, but understand it's very high variance. I take advantage of that. The, the biggest, the biggest edge in MMA is, is is what I'm showing you here. Fighters that have a perception of that they're going to win more often are way over owned, and ones that seem like they have no shot are way under owned. And the variance of a single MMA fight could be any. I mean, one person makes a slight mistake, and that could be over. And it and it could be a favorite fighter. In the past year of playing MMA DFS. I've seen minus 800 favorites lose in 30 seconds. Like, but you're right. I mean, in 30 seconds. I've seen guys that had inside the distance odds of like 700, which is awful. Finish a guy in two minutes, right? Because one punch, you know, someone makes a mistake, knocks the good hook on the chin and the guy goes down and then gets pummeled and TKO and there you go. Just on a mistake. One punch can knock anyone out. So people just overestimate their, like, oh, oh, he's definitely, this guy's definitely going to beat that guy. Like, definitely? I mean, look at these odds. These odds, there's no definitely. The highest win probability fighter on the slate is 76%. Right? That's a little over three quarters. So 25% of the time, the other guy wins. I mean, like, that, that isn't like, oh, he has no chance. Right? but people treat it like that. So that's why when I play lineups, you'll see crazy lineups that I play. Well, you played that guy, you played this guy, you played this, you thought that, I, I didn't think anything. All I'm doing is playing the numbers. I know that Adeshev is more of a stand-up striker, so he doesn't score well in decisions because he doesn't really grapple and for DK scoring. I can't ignore the fact that his inside the distance is twice his ownership. Maybe he gets a first round victory. I mean, look, his, his odds of winning in the first round is 13%, and he's only going to be 11% on. Right? So it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, you get paid more than you should be. I mean, that's 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 what it is. So it doesn't mean, do I like Adeshev? No. And typically this happens because the ownership gets condensed over, like, the fighters that have more, you know, finishing potential. Yeah, they have more, but doesn't mean it's going to happen. We had a fight last week. Allen versus Soriano was the fight that by far out of any fight on either, between both sides was not going to go to a decision. 
was a fight most likely to end inside the distance. And you know what it did? It went to a decision and neither fighter scored well. And it killed like 80, 80 plus percent of people's lineups because most people played either one or the other. It turns out they both busted. Oh my God, I can't believe it. No, well, obviously there's a, right? It's, compare the two inside the distance lines. It's not even close to 80% owned between the two of them, which means they're over-owned. The one guy that lost was like 51% owned and lost. <laughs> you can just kill lineups. They're way over-owned. I, I, and I played played half of what most people played in them. And, and yes, sometimes the chalk gets there and you get, you get crushed. I get, to, I get to tell you that. Yeah, there's plenty of times where it's like, I'm, I'm telling you that the edge is not playing a lineup. Like two of these 9K guys, Stolze, right? And one of the, the mid-range guys and like, don't play those lineups. And that those lineups could be the winners, right? Stolze puts up 100, Barbarita puts up 120, Strickland goes to a decision, stri- well, maybe not strike, uh, fourth round KO puts up 110, you know, and you look at the lineup and you go, oh, it's Chalk City. Chalk, 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 chalk. Yeah, okay. 68-way tie for first, 800-way tie for second. I mean, like, it could be, it, sure, it could be. that. Why not? And you, you put in, you, you don't have any of those lineups and you're sitting there, you know, with a 90% loss on the day. Yeah, that could happen. Absolutely. But if you're fr- too afraid of the chalk hitting, then you shouldn't be playing DFS. You should be playing every day for the chalk not hitting. You're going to lose most of the time. But when you win, you're going to win way more than you should. That's that's the GPP way. You don't want to, If you don't want to play like that, play double-ups. Okay. So that was Casual Friday. Gets a little silent during the, the MMA talk. I want to give you the edge. I know someone, someone, I, I did MMA, because it's the DFS pregame show. It's not the MLB pregame show. It's the DFS. It's whatever was going on in DFS. Uh, I know the last time, or maybe the time before, I did some MMA, whatever, and and someone someone watching from Roto Grinders won a hundred thousand. It was like, oh no, I, I and I think maybe didn't even play MMA before. Like I saw, I saw what you were talking about, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna play, and then they won a hundred thousand. They won first uniquely for a hundred thousand. Maybe that'll happen again. Hopefully, it's me. I'll root for myself first, obviously. I'll root for you guys next after that. But I mean, I, I always come first, right? So yeah. So there you go. And then we have the trading deadline. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows who's going to be? Any of these people could be traded at any time. What could happen? Ooh, what's going to happen? Who else is the Yankees and the Dodgers going to get? Right. That's what ends up happening. The Red Sox. The Red Sox got Schwarber. Right. We saw that last night. Story's going somewhere. You know that. Are you playing him today? I don't know. I don't even know if you're playing him today anyway. Story. Well, who, who are they playing? Who are the Rockies playing? Where are the Rockies? Oh, they're playing at the Padres against Ryan Weathers. I mean, yeah, that 4,600 is pretty cheap. I don't know. Probably it's 50-50 that he's even in the lineup. Okay. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. Thummy thumbs. Give me those thummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Grinders live coming up later today to discuss the MLB slate. That's at 530 Eastern. Then at 630 for premium members. It's crunch time. 
sign up for Roto Grinders Premium to get that. And uh, and 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 I'll be back. I'll be back on Monday, as I am answering your DFS strategy questions, reviewing slates, going over going over whatever it is you want to go over. That's what I'll do. Mondays through Fridays, not at uh, at 11, 11 a.m. Eastern, for the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com. Grinders.